0: Next week for Memorial Day. All right, let's get to the sermon. Um, The we we are in Hebrews. We are picking up where we left off, Hebrews chapter four, uh, and and we are stepping into the middle of what is a very strong warning. I've, I've said this a number of times as we work our way through Hebrews. We are really dealing with what is probably presented as a letter that the church would have sat and listened to being read all in one seating. The, the idea is probably that this is more a, an individual sermon than it is a, a, a whole list of different doctrinal treatises. Now, obviously, there's all kinds of doctrines that can be established and inferred and learned and as we study, and we will... But we are we are every time we come to this, we are stepping into the middle of what is building off of what's already been said. And so we have a little work to do to, to recognize that. Last week is, is really the beginning of that warning, back at the beginning of chapter three. And and the point was the, the summary of it is, I, I guess, is, is that Jesus was greater than Moses. He he was a greater mediator, greater leader, greater in every way. Jesus was greater than Moses and, and as such he is worthy of more wor- wor- he is worthy of worship. He is the one worthy to be adored. He is the one worthy to be exalted and 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 praised. Jesus is higher, greater than Moses. And and we saw that. And then alongside that contrast was not only the expectation that we worship him with our head, our heart and our hands, like give, give our whole body to to this life centered around Jesus but alongside that not only are we seeing Jesus compared to Moses but we're also seeing Jesus compared to or I'm sorry the church compared to Israel it's not as prominent but it's clearly there because Jesus is a greater Moses the church is to be greater than Israel we are to be more faithful we are to be if if Israel was seen in failing in their following of Moses how much more so is the damage done if the church refuses to follow the one they call a savior and so while I'll say say it like this, while the church and Israel, there is some continuity, there's enough discontinuity to be able to say that the church is a greater Israel, so long as we consider affirming, professing faith, and enduring in that faith. Where Israel failed, the church is called, equipped, and made able, and now responsible to endure. So that's a summary right like that's a kind of a a summary of what happened in chapter three Uh, and now we're going to step into chapter four and we're going to see the author pick up from that contrast and comparison and warning to not disobey to not quit to to, to not that warning to endure in faith and to not disobey we're going to see him begin to turn and really emphasize the importance of the rest that comes from enduring so we'll read it we'll pray and we'll dig in and study Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those Who listened. And so you see this contrast beginning to to be pulled out even further, right? There's this reality that there's a message preached to them that, that not all of them listened to, not all of them had faith. And because they did, just hearing it wasn't enough. He goes on, For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so we see again this contrast of a people who believe entering rest and a people who don't believe not entering rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world for he has said somewhere spoken of the seventh for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way and god rested on the seventh day from all his works and again in this passage he said they shall not enter my rest now, unbelief keeping people from entering this rest of god since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formally received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, "Today, if you hear His voice, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would, have, would not have spoken of another day later on. So seen, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray. Father, help us now. Recognize the serious nature of this warning. A warning called out by us fearing missing out. A warning for us to strive in every way to do everything we can to enter into this rest. And a a reminder that there is no hiding, there's no pretending, there's no putting on a show, there's no convincing you of what's not true because... By your word, we are laid bare before you. So let's help us, Father, now, as your people, as, 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 as a people who have been promised and, and, and told that we can, we, we can expect this, that this is our confident expectation, that, that, this is, that this is what we have to look forward to. Help us to understand the serious nature of this warning. And I would pray, Father, those who apparently or appear to be christian among us that might listen to this and those who are not yet christian i pray that they'd hear this warning and repent of their sins and trust in you help us now father walk rightly in light of this i pray in jesus name amen who doesn't know what it is to be tired like we understand what it is to be tired we're a young church with lots of young children we know what it is to be tired Right? We we get it. We, we we know what it is to go to work and, and come home physically exhausted. We know what it is to be sleepy at the end of a long day. Some of you will long for the nap that follows church, right? Like I'm gonna go have some lunch, fill up my belly, and take a nice long nap. I'm not going to, but maybe some of you will. But we know what it is to rest, but but the rest we're talking about is not simply physical. It is, there's an expression of it there, but it doesn't stop at the physicality of what it is to rest. As I considered this passage, and, and the rest mentioned here this week, I, I, I couldn't help but think, this is, I, I guess, just part of, of how I consider things and think about things, but I, I couldn't help but think of one of my favorite movies called The Green Mile. I don't It's a, it's a book by Stephen King, adapted into a movie, and, and one of the lead characters played by uh, Michael, I think it's Mar- Michael Clark Duncan, I think his name is. He's passed away now. Um, he played a guy named... John Coffey, and he's a miraculous, some sort of miraculous power he has, and, and, and they don't go to lengths to really de- develop and determine where this power comes from, he just does good things with this power, he's falsely accused, sentenced to death, and he's living on death row, and, and expecting to be executed, and, and he, it, 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 as his execution approaches, uh uh the other lead character one of the other lead characters tom hanks who plays the lead guard in the in the prison comes to to, to john Coffey, and he's and he's talking with him and preparing him for the moment that they're going to execute him and and just before he kind of finishes his conversation he offers to let coffee go he's like hey what would you have me do well, I, I, i'll let you out and, and and you run just as far as you can you just get away and John Coffey will have nothing to do with it. He wants nothing to do with it. And he says something to the effect of, why would you do such a foolish thing? The, the, the fallout for you is going to be worse than anything. And, and his response is, his answer, it, it, it follows this way. I'll, I'll just read it to you. It just is, it's, I think, a picture of, of this rest we all long for. I, I want it to be over and done with. I do. I'm tired, boss. Tired of being on the road, lonely as a sparrow in the rain. I'm tired of never having me a buddy to be, to be with, to tell me where we is going to and coming from or why. Mostly, I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. I'm tired of all the pain I feel and, and hear in the world every day. There's too much of it. It's like pieces of glass in my head all the time. Can you understand? Now, who doesn't know what it is to be tired like this? Who doesn't understand what it is to be tired and weary from walking in a sin-sick world in which everywhere we turn is oppression. Everywhere we turn is harm and hurt and pain and suffering. And woe is me and all this crying out and lamenting and, and, and awareness of the problem. There's so many people unwilling and, and unable to see and even think of turning to the solution. Who, who doesn't get tired like this? For John Coffey, his answer was, his solution was, well, just let me die. Don't send me back out there. Just let me die. And most of us don't go to that length. And most of us aren't, aren't, aren't saying, just let me die. Electrocute me. <laughs> let, let me die for a, for a crime I didn't commit. Most of us aren't, aren't that tired. But we still seek to find rest in all kinds of ways. I, I think I've shared with you, you all before, there was a friend of mine I graduated high school with that, it, 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 I don't know, constantly, and, and this is later in life, I was I, just one of those people you reconnect with on Facebook, you know, and, and on her post it was always, I can't wait for the weekend. I, Monday comes, I can't wait for the weekend. Sunday evening comes, I can't believe my weekend's already over. And just her whole life revolved around getting to the weekend and getting a day off. Others of us we we seek to take vacations to unplug to think about like turning off our phones and and disconnecting from the pressures of life and The, the problem is as soon as we come back from vacation well, some of us come back from the vacation needing to rest from vacation and yet we 're forced to go to work, well what we find is the, the the problems that we left are still there, and at least in my experience in my in, in, in many of the roles that i 've filled in my lifetime I I can take a vacation and leave for a little bit and I'm even able to get my mind off of it while I'm gone but no one's doing what I was supposed to be doing while I was gone while I'm gone and so when I get back it's not just the work that's piled up for the day but the work that's piled up while I was gone there is no rest in that I feel like it's just better okay well I'll just keep at it like why stop because if I take a break it just makes it harder after and for the Israelites, as we see in this passage, for the Israelites, as they followed Moses out of Egypt into the wilderness, their, their idea getting out of slavery, they, oh, we're out of slavery, we're leaving Egypt, and then they get into the wilderness, and they're following God, the smoke in the day, and the pillar of fire at night, and what, 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 what begins to happen? Wait a minute, we had meat back there. <laughs> we had water back there. We, we were comfortable back there. Did you lead us out here in the desert to die? And they faced trouble and hardship and complained all along the way. And then they come to the Jordan River. And the idea of rest is crossing that river and getting into that, getting into that promised land, that promise that had been made to Abraham and and had been waiting for the day that people, his 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 descendants, would, would walk into that land and just have it. This land flowing with milk and honey, this land of abundance and rest. And they send spies into the land, and what do they find? You're not just walking in and having it. Like, there's giants over there. Yeah, the grapes are big, but so are the people. It's going to be tough. And suddenly, their disbelief was revealed in their actions and unwillingness to go into the land that God had promised them. And so, a whole generation of people, every one of them, except for Joshua and Caleb, sent back into the wilderness. 40 years to walk around until every last one of them die so that their children would then be the ones who go into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua only to find that wasn't the rest that God had promised in fact they found out pretty quickly they weren't at rest like they thought they'd be but what we learn in this passage is That was never intended to be the rest that they looked to or hoped for or placed their confidence in. What we learn in this passage is this is not the rest that God had been promising since the very beginning. This is not the rest that we were to look toward ever. In Jesus, a greater rest has been made known, which we can only enter by enduring faith in Him and obedience to him. In Jesus a greater rest has been made known which we can only enter by enduring faith in him and obedience to him. This theme of rest runs all the way through the scripture from the moment that we're sent out of God's rest in the garden. You recognize that's what happened when he curses these people, right? When Adam and Eve sin, they are removed from God's rest. His rest was created, his rest was established and Adam and Eve sin and they're removed from it. It's prophesied by prophets like Jeremiah six in, in, in Jeremiah six sixteen. Thus says the Lord: Stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient pass where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. He's referring to this message, this good way, this this presentation of a way in which God had promised rest. Look for it, walk in it, and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Jesus offers this rest as he comes and he puts on flesh and he dwells among us. Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you can look all the way to the end of the book of the Bible, and the word, word rest might not be that be the word that's used, but it is a rest in which we are going into, and we're all pain, all suffering. Death has no reign any longer. Our enemy is destroyed, and we will enter his rest. And right here, right now, in the book of Hebrews, the author distinguishing between those who do and don't enter rest is also making a distinction between the rest of Israel and the rest promised by God in His Son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus, a greater rest has been made known, which we can only enter by enduring faith in Him and obedience to Him. Look at the way these contrasts are laid out. Let's start in verse 7 through 10. If you look in 7 through 10, you're going to first see in verse 7 that that the author here makes an argument from David. This is the first time as he makes reference to the Scripture that he even attributes the human author. Every point before, he said, the Holy Spirit says, this is God's word, right? But now as he comes in verse 7, he's, he's attributing this work to David. And so, so he's pointing out that if, if David is making this promise, who lived generations after Joshua, then God could have never thought that, that the people entering into the promised land was the rest that David was referring to. There was another rest. And he goes further in verse 8 where he absolutely undermines any idea that Joshua led people into rest. But if you look at it in verse 8, he he, he says, For if Joshua had given them rest, speaking about the people that he led into the promised land, God would not have spoken of another day later on. If that was the rest, if that was the rest, then why is God still talking about rest? It's there. We just need to find our way back to Canaan. We just need to find our way back across that river. The reality is this is why a lot of people are so concerned about the nation of Israel and the land of Israel because they think that's where the rest is. It's not. Man, I, I, I don't know. I, oh, I want to be careful here because I can't go into all of this. But but, but but quit putting your hope in a place on this planet. This is a dead and dying world. There's no rest here. Except in the one who has come. It's in Jesus we find a greater rest. It's not in a place. It's not in going into some land and, 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 and now we can build out Israel here on, on the earth. This is such a frustration of mine over this last year watching, And sorry this is in my notes but it's, I think it's got to be said. Watching Christians running around trying to hang on to some Christendom or create or recreate some idea of Christendom here in America like, oh, well, well Israel lost it but we can recreate it here. We can, we can force people to agree to our views so that we can make our lives comfortable and Christian here. Ooh, man, I, I. Christendom is the product of the proclamation of the gospel. Not us coercing people by the rule of law into doing what we think they should do. You get that. We won't have Christendom because we get all the right laws and the right leaders. Until we've seen people believe and follow Jesus Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. The church needs to quit being so busy about making a government and get to the work of making disciples. That's the rest we've been promised. i got a lot more I can say about that. I'll move on. It's, it's, anyway, you, you can see I get a little excited about it. But it's, my, my, This last year has just been horrific. All, all the way from people I love and admire and respect to people who are other ends and camps in Christianity. Still these brothers and sisters going after the wrong thing. Trying to find rest in the wrong places. It's really sad. We look at verses 9 and 10. He goes on and he, and he ties back and shows that there is a Sabbath rest. And so, so you see him. You, you see this author undermine the idea of a place... And the idea of a day of rest, the Sabbath in in the law was a day, a seventh day. Like the last day of the week, you set it aside for rest. It was attached to certain holidays and and, and holy days or celebrations in the Jewish calendar. And there were extra uh, um, Sabbaths throughout the year. But but weekly, there was a Sabbath rest. And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's a greater rest, a greater rest sabbath these are pictures these are representations they're types and shadows but they are not the rest that's been promised in jesus we find a greater rest by which we only enter through faith and obedience well let's take a closer look at this rest we see in this section beginning in verse 10 we see jesus's greater rest is god's good creation for his people rest was created by god for his people to live in and to enjoy it was God's idea to, to develop rest. At the end of verse 3, he says this as much. He says, um, uh, let's get to it. So he says, uh, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So we see there's a finishing of work. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. God has created rest. It, it, it's, it, it, his rest is His creation. He didn't have to bless the seventh day. He didn't have to finish his work. You can go look at it in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. He didn't have to finish his work, look at it and see it all good and and, and then rest and bless that day and say, oh man, this is a day of rest. This is a time of rest. What's interesting, we don't really know what happens, what, what 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 happens or what it looks like on day eight because there's not a record. But we never see God leave His rest. Think about it. In all the garden, we don't see a rest ending until Adam and Eve are sent out of that rest and aren't able to enjoy it anymore. And what? And what's that marked by? To the serpent, He promises there's a day. Well, this is going to be miserable for you all the way all the way through. But there's a day coming in which you will be defeated. To the woman, He promises. Pain in childbirth. Difficulty in, in relationship. And, and the marriage relationship is mentioned first as, as as Adam is going or Eve is going to long to control her husband and, and Adam's gonna control her. There's this division, this 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 uh, uh, opposition to one another. And then he says to Adam, hey, hey, this this world that you were supposed to rule over, exercise dominion that you were supposed to, to, to shape and mold. It's going to produce thorns and thistles. God created rest. And we walked out of it. We left it. And everyone who was born in, in, the, in the line of Adam, we're, that's us. <laughs> this is the world we reside in. Th- this is the place. The, 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 this, is the, this is the day. This is the day. This is the time, a day without rest, pain, hardship, hurt, suffering, in all the ways that we were supposed to be, fruitful, multiply, rule the earth, exercise dominion, live together in fellowship with God and one another. It's gone. That rest that God created is seemingly gone to us, unaccessible, unavailable. And yet, we still still seek to recreate and to develop our rest. The nation of Israel, covenant people of God, thought they could do it on their own. I've got the rules, I'm going to follow them now by my self-righteous works. And what did the law do? It proved they couldn't. It showed over and over and over, time and time again. They were incapable. This covenant people of God told, hey, you're, you're, the rest is available to you. They look not to, to believe him and trust him, but they begin to look to the law as if in some way, by their maintaining it, they maintain their own relationship with God rather than by faith. Now today, uh, we're not likely to run back to the law of Moses. Whoa. And God said, that's what, that's what, we're not likely to run back to the law of Moses. We're not likely to, to, to go back, man, we're going to have to do something. I'm in, I'm in all the monitors, take me out of them, because it's too much, sorry. This is, this is a world without rest. There we go. I think it's gone. We're not likely to return to Moses and the law. We're not likely to go back and start arguing. Well, there's some people that do. Sabbatarians still argue for this as, as if, if, if in some way it is the way that we maintain our relationship with God. I'm not discounting and I'm not, I'm, I'm not denying that there is a right and good reason for us to show up at church on Sunday morning as the Lord's day, as a people of God, to set this day aside for God's glory, to worship together as his people, to fellowship with one another. I, I'm all for that. But if you are are thinking that by your setting aside of this day that in some way you are maintaining, that you are earning your righteousness, that you are showing yourself approved to God because of what you do, then you have missed the point of coming to worship on Sunday morning. The idea of us coming to worship is as a result of us believing that God is God. He is worthy of worship, and so we worship him. He is worthy of our devotion, of our time, of our sacrifice. He is worthy for us to come together to listen and hear his word preached so that we might know him and walk with him every day of our life. He is worthy of us gathering and, and people going into these uh, uh, childcare rooms and serving selflessly of themselves to, so that you can sit and listen to God's word as, as parents who struggle and wrestle, honestly, with. With at times, not being able to disconnect from the noises your child is making. It's a way to serve one another, and that is where he's he's worthy of that. Even in that serving, finding rest. And we're always trying to recreate it. We, 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 We recreate it with the idea of idleness. I need to rest by not doing anything. And that might be restful for a moment, that might be restful physically. It's right and good to take a day off. It's right to to set aside a day that you don't have to work. It's, It's right and good to take vacation and disconnect and unplug from the world. But that is not the rest that's been promised to you as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. God's rest, it, it, it's not a, available after achieving a certain socioeconomic standard. Like, I'm going to work till a certain point, and then I'm going I'm to have enough money in the bank, I'm going to kick back, and I'm going to enjoy my life. There was a parable about that. You foolish man. Today you die. What do you do now? God's rest isn't in achieving the, the right set of circumstances with no trouble, like constantly controlling, constantly working it out. I, oh, when, when, when it's easy for me to go to church, when it's comfortable for me to live the life, when, it's, when, when, when everything fits my little parameter and view of things, that's when I'll follow Jesus. That right set of circumstances is never going to come. And if it does, if you arrive at a place in which all of a sudden you have no trouble, and oh man, I got rest. I hope you don't have to wake up the next day (laughs) to find out that that rest is fleeting. I hope you're able to just enter into the rest that God has always promised, because that's not it. The rest that God created, is final and full it's eternal. It's not temporary. It's, it, it, it doesn't begin and, and end based on a week. This Sabbath rest remains for believers, but it's not the Sabbath that was established by a law. It's found in a relationship to a person, not arriving at a place. The, the, the idea that we were removed from rest not because, not because God... God condemned us and heaped up on us and and sought to get even with us. We enter into that simply because of the reality of being removed from fellowship with God. Adam and Eve certainly are are feeling the consequence. God didn't have to come down on them and say, oh, now the earth is going to produce thorns and thistles. Now pain is going to be. No, those were simply the result of not walking in fellowship with him. The world's rebellion and the the struggles that we find in relationship and the lacking fellowship with our Father in heaven. Those are the direct consequence of rejecting him to begin with. And the rest that Joshua led this nation of Israel into, this rest, this idea of going into a promised land and now getting rest. Yes, it's a type, it's a shadow, it's a, it's a representation of, it's a, it's a picture of what it's going to look like and we can now lay the Christian walk across, across that and we can see the parallels and we can see how, how we're called out of slavery of fear. We see that in chapter 2, that we're, or slavery to sin. We're called out of that slavery to sin, we're no longer ruled by it and now we're walking around in the wilderness being tested. And do, we, do we believe? Today's the day, today's the day. Listen to the voice, if you hear his voice today, don't, don't, don't harden your heart against it, believe him, trust him, follow him. It's in in walking in this relationship daily, enduring in the faith in Jesus Christ, because Jesus' greater rest is God's good creation. He's created it for you and for me. He's created it so that we can walk in that rest, that we can live in that rest, even as we wander in the wilderness, waiting for the day that we finally cross the river. But it's not found in a place. It's not getting back to Israel. It's not getting back to this this land it's getting to a a new land a a recreated world a world that's made new by our lord and savior jesus christ (laughs) Jesus' greater rest is god's good creation for his people he wants us to have it jesus greater rest is god's gospel promise to his people we go back to the to the passage and look in verse two for good news came to us just as to them wait a minute the, Israel heard the good news, and, and, and some people would suggest, oh, this is the good news of coming out of Egypt and going. But that's short-sighted. Because what did Jesus say to the people of Jerusalem when he was walking around their streets and, 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 and walking in the towns of, uh, across um, um, Galilee, Samaria, and, and Judea? He was constantly calling them to see Him in the Scripture. In fact, John chapter 5, we went there a few weeks ago because, because He was the point of the Scripture. He, he confronts the Pharisees of His day. He says, hey, you go to the Scripture to find eternal life, but they were given to you so that you might see Me. The Gospel had been being preached to all through, to, to, to all people. It's been being made known through the likes of Abraham in, in Israel. They've been hearing this proclamation of good news. The rest is coming. The one who's going to provide rest is coming. And yet every, every every time it was offered, faithlessness was the response. And so they couldn't enter this rest. But this good news, this good news proclaims of a time when rest will be ours completely. 100%, it's eternal, final, fulfilling rest. This rest is tied to the person of our Savior, to the... To the the Father who is in heaven, tied to our fellowship with Him that reunites us together so that we no longer have strife. Imagine what it would be to live in a world with no strife. Can we define that as rest? Gosh, yes. Imagine what it is to live in a world in which when we go out and we work... And we dig in the ground and we plant something. Imagine, in Missouri, this is a good good example. Imagine going out to dig in the ground and not having to beat on a rock first. Gosh. I think we could define that as rest. When the seeds we plant in the ground don't come forth with disease on the leaves and disease in the fruit. Those apples, they'll be so juicy and lush. When the creation is molded by our hand rather than rebelling against it. Can we call that rest? I don't know what it looks like to continue to procreate after creation. I don't know how any of that's going to work. We could probably have a lot of discussions about it, but (laughs) we'll move forward. But just imagine ladies and the husbands who stand by these ladies. That there's nothing but joy and no pain. Parents, waking up with your children after sleepless nights. Not feeling the weight of that. When we will look around and no such thing as abortion. Broken homes and no need for adoption. That every parent loves their child. Serves their child. Raises their child to know and worship the creator. Can we not call that rest? And the author here shows us this is what the gospel promises. This is what he's told us is available. In Christ. In Jesus. This is available. But. But he doesn't just do that. He shows us this gospel promise is worth more than anything else this world has to offer. Look at, look at the way he warns us about it. In verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. No, 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 no. It's not. It, 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 this, isn't just a, this isn't just some small thing. Let us. Uh, oh, I'll deal with that one day. Let us fear, lest any should seem to have failed to reach it. Verse 11 then turns around and says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Let's do everything we can to enter that rest. Today, today, not not tomorrow, not yesterday, today. If you hear his voice, walk in faithfulness. Do not harden your hearts against it. Today, today, and tomorrow, when tomorrow's today, hear his voice and walk in response to it. And, and, And a year from now, when today is today, that's what we went over last week. Continue enduring in that faith. There's nothing of greater value than this gospel promise of God's rest. Tell me somewhere deep in your souls that this is not the thing you deeply desire in your life. We mask it with things like comfort. Ease. Inventing things to keep us from dealing with the hardships of life we've wrestled against all this stuff as we were told by the city to wear masks and some of us didn't want to and it's uncomfortable and it makes us angry we're confronted with it every time we turn on the news and we see we 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 see our nation at unrest as we wrestle and fight against one another and one side says, Oh, America is the promise of the world. And the other side says, Oh, hate America. It's worthless. And look at what we've done in history. That's not the rest God's calling us to. The promise of God's rest is found in the gospel. I'll never forget sitting in, in, in one of our villages in Senegal. And I was talking with this guy. It was, it was Scott Sturman, my wife Amy, and I, and we're 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 in the larger of the two villages that we work in, and we had gone to this motorcycle shop that we would. It's not a shop like you're picturing a shop. It's a shack on the side of the road with lots of dirt and oil everywhere. Like if EPA ever goes to Africa, we're in trouble. But anyway, is, there's young guys that are doing the work there, and people will just stop at their motorcycle. They'll get something tuned up. They'll do some little work, and and then off they go again. And sometimes there's big work happening, but. But for the most part, we're just seeking to to enter into gospel conversation and share the gospel at that place. And this one time we're there, the three of us are there, and and it became, I mean, I thought we were about to have a riot on our hands. Because as we were sharing the gospel with a couple of people, this crowd starts to form, and then they start shouting. And it really is just the culture, like they're a very emphatic people. And, And our translator, Dabo, as I'm saying things, our translator, Dabo, is saying, translating them, he, he, he keeps reaching over to this one guy's hand and putting it down and trying to calm this guy because he's really getting worked up. And the whole time this is going on, there's this other man sitting over here listening. Not saying anything, just listening. And we notice that, and so we start to seek to, to, to enter into this conversation with him. And I, I ask him something along the lines of, you know, well, how do you know that you'll go to heaven when you die? Like, what, your, what is your hope? And, and he begins to lay out the five pillars of Islam and how... If he does enough good works, and those good works are laid on the scale next to his bad works, then if he does enough good, it will outweigh the bad, and God will let him in into paradise uh, based on his good works. And I just, I just looked at him and asked. I said, I, I understand that what you're saying is you've got to merit, you or you've got to earn your way in. He's like, yeah. I said, do you have no assurance of that today? He said, no. And I asked him, I said, well, what if I could tell you you could know? You could know that on the day you meet the Lord that you're going to walk into his rest. And and I didn't use that terminology into heaven, I think is probably what I said. He'd love to know that way. Who wouldn't, right? Like, I'd love to know that. Tell me. I talked about how Jesus lived perfectly according to the law. He fulfilled every Sabbath. Like he rested perfectly on every Sabbath sabbath he attended every ceremony every every picture every everything that was required of the law jesus did it perfectly 100 percent, so that one day he could stand in our place and die for our sins and i said what if i told you that if you just simply trust in jesus and the work he's done on your behalf when you die if you trust in him when you die you can know when you see god he welcomes you in. What would that mean to you? And, and we had been drawing in the dirt, right, like different things in the dirt. And there was this whole list of rules on his side. And I said, there's one rule in Christianity, one, one call for Christianity. It's not about work. It's about believing. And, and, and he had this list of rules. And I, I just said, just believe. And I just made one line. What if I told you that secured your place in heaven? What would that mean to you? He said one word, rest. Because every day of his life, he had to wake up and he had to live with no assurance and no certainty that when he died and faced his God, had he done enough. This rest that, that God has created and and told us about in Jesus. It's not about earning. It's about believing. It's about, it's, it's about, about believing. And, and, and this rest, Jesus' greater rest, it can be entered to and entered into and enjoyed today. It's available right now. This is why he goes back over and over to Psalm 95 today. Today, we're, God's at rest. He's created rest. He's made rest available since the creation of the world. Today, you can enter that rest. It's a rest that's not, it's, it's pictured and represented in the Old Testament by the, by the law and by the days off and by the, by the entry into the land. But it is not the rest. Today, listen to Him. Hear His voice. Don't harden your hearts. Today is the day. It's available. Step in, just like the readers of Hebrews, generations later, are reading of this rest that's available today. Brothers and sisters, this rest is available for us today. If our life is not at rest, it's not because God has failed in His promise to provide it, it's because we're believing in something other than Jesus. Why have we experienced so much unrest in the church over the last several generations? It's because we promoted the methodologies of man and the solutions of government and the right circumstances in life and the right socioeconomic standards. And if you just achieve these things, the church has preached this message. And it is lied. It's only in Jesus. If your life is not at rest, it's not because God hasn't provided it today. It's because we're looking to something other than Jesus. Jesus' greater rest can be entered into and enjoyed today, but it only comes through faith. Jesus' greater rest can only be entered by faith. we try to hold up our works and our efforts. Brothers and sisters, we'll be just like that man. And here's the sad reality of that man's life. I don't know where he's at today. What I do know is in that moment, he wouldn't leave Islam. He wouldn't leave Muhammad. And he rejected the rest that was available. He understood it clearly. He got it. And we're like, oh, he gets it. He understands. I said, will you believe in him today? No. No. When we walk in this, the, the, the passage certainly pictures this day when rest will be final and fulfilling but this, this rest that he's calling to enter into today by faith it's an already, not retent- already but not yet tension, we know what's coming we know what hope we have, we know what it's going to look like in that day but even now, by faith, we get to walk in this rest, this certainty, this confidence. That's why he refers back to that in chapter 3 when he's talking about this, this, uh, these conditional statements. In chapter 3, if we hold firm our confidence, our boasting and our hope, if we hold firm to our confessions of faith. And in chapter 4, why he calls us today to listen. Today to hear. You see, brothers and sisters, we, we, we can't hold up our efforts and our works. We can't, we can't ever expect to be good enough. They'll always leave us empty. But when our hearts and our heads are focused on Him, when we are filling our our view with Him, when when we are centering our life on Jesus, when our heads and our hearts are filled with Him, our hands will follow suit. The work of our hands will look a certain way. Is it always going to be easy? No. Is it always going to be comfortable? No. Is it ever going to come at a cost? Yes. But in our hearts we can be at rest. I I wish I could say I did this perfectly. But as we as we went through this season of arguments about COVID and arguments about the solutions to the racial tensions of America and arguments about how much government should be doing and arguments about who is the right uh, who was who the right president for this season and all of these arguments. I wish I could say I'd done this perfectly. I didn't. But I was brought back to the same place over and over again. I didn't lose hope. I still haven't lost hope. And I don't think you have to either. Because our God is still sovereign. Jesus is still our king. And our citizenship is in heaven, in which one day we will step into and finally and fully enter his rest. If we continue enduring in this hope, in this faith, a faith that is affirmed by our obedience. And that's why, that's why this author comes to this place where he is dealing with what we do, but it's not to call us to do something to earn our place. It's calling us to live so certainly of what he's done that we can't help but live as if it's true. Faith untested is unreliable, but faith tested makes all the difference in the world. He's not calling us to a faith that is, or or to a rest that's idle, to a rest that doesn't accomplish anything. He calls us to a rest that ceases its desire to earn because we've placed our trust in the one who has earned it all. It's rest that's not idle, but moves us instead of to futile activity, to activity that's a fruit of our faith. You see, the the, difference is, Is astronomical, it's 180 degrees out, it's as far as the east, is is as different as different can be. But this faith that we've been called to, it will produce a work. But the work is not whatever will save us, it's the faith that produced the work to begin with. I was thinking of a hymn this week, all week long, it's an old hymn, I've I've referenced it here before, but I I just feel like it it, it illustrates this point so much. The title is Nothing Either Great or Small. That's the title I know it by. I think it's titled different things and there's a few different versions but it's by a guy named like uh, uh, James Proctor is his name. Nothing either great or small, nothing sinner, or no. Jesus did it, did it all long, long ago. It is finished, yes indeed, finished every jot. Sinner, this is all you need. Tell me, is it not? When he from his lofty throne stooped to do and die, everything was fully done. hearken, to his cry. Can you hear the author of Hebrews coming through in this? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hearken to his cry. Weary, working, burdened one. Oh, man, who doesn't want this kind of rest? Weary, working, burdened one, wherefore toil you so? Cease your doing, all was done long, long ago. Till to Jesus' work you cling by a simple faith. Doing is a deadly thing. Doing ends in death. Cast your deadly doing down. Down at Jesus' feet. Stand in Him, in Him alone. Gloriously complete. Who doesn't want to know that no matter what rages around them, we are at rest. But how is that not relevant even in the very immediate needs of our life? Oh man, it speaks to what's to come. But it speaks to the right now. In Jesus, a greater rest has been made known, which we can only enter by enduring faith in him and obedience to him. But that obedience will be the fruit of your true and enduring faith placed in the one who's done it all, who's paid the price. So don't strive to do a lot of doing. Strive to trust him. The fight of the Christian life is not a bunch of works, but in believing So let's go back to where chapter 3 started and this warning began. Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. We know what happens to those who don't. Listen. Who hear and don't believe. You see, the the, the adjacency, the access to the gospel isn't enough. It's the faith. And that faith will be affirmed in obedience. Believe. Hear Him. Look at Him. Listen to Him. Believe and trust in Him. And you're not going to have to figure out what to do. Because that will just flow from it. It'll just be natural, the natural result of it. So if you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, listen for his voice again. Don't harden your heart. I didn't hear his voice. Consider him. Keep your mind on him. And I bet you'll hear his voice. Let's pray.